0: And welcome to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks, as always, for sticking me in your ear. And if you want to go deeper into Strange Planet, you might want to consider becoming a premium subscriber. And to do that, just go to the website, strangeplanet.ca. There's a link there. You can click on that. Or you can go to strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. There are several monthly uh, tiers to choose from. Choose the one that's right for you. And uh, you can enjoy all the benefits all right about a dozen years ago i uh, i had a tv show called the conspiracy show it ran uh, up here in canada for four seasons on uh, vision tv and we sold it internationally and it was either season one or season two um, we produced an episode on um, microwave radiation and uh, the deleterious health effects of microwave radiation Um, and my guest at that time is joining me again today to see if there's any new developments in this regard magda havis uh is a professor emeritus with the school of the environment at trent university and it's great to have you back magda how are you
2: i'm wonderful and thank you for having me back on your show
0: emf is what we're talking about here correct electromagnetic frequency and uh, i know that you know, in, in your field, you, um, you talk about the, um, the health benefits and also the, the, the um, detrimental health effects of, of um, electric fields, electromagnetic fields. And we've talked about Tesla medicine on the program before. Uh, but let's go back uh, to that conversation about a dozen years ago. Um, and we were talking about EMF then, uh the big debate with the, the, the so-called skeptics or the critics is that it's non-ionizing radiation and therefore it can't impact our uh can impact us at the cellular level, it can't impact our DNA. Uh let's let's begin there. Uh how does EMF affect us uh in a deleterious fashion?
2: Well, one of the things uh EMFs, and I'm gonna call it electrosmog. Um, emf is electromagnetic fields basically um, but it includes radiation as well and so a, a more um, comprehensive term is electrosmog. it's a form of pollution just like air pollution or chemical smog and it affects us by stressing our bodies so the fact that um, uh, physicists and uh, the governments that regulate this have based it on a heating effect came back from um, around the time of World War II, when they were testing radar. And they were wondering, and radar is simply microwave radiation. And they were trying to figure out, well, how much radiation can um, those working in the with the radar be exposed to? And some of the men working there were actually complaining of headaches and, and various um, issues. And that's when they decided to figure out what was harmful. And it took them quite a few years, and they thought it was related entirely to heating. And the understanding at the time was that if it's not ionizing radiation, if it's not gamma radiation, if it's not x-rays, then it doesn't have enough energy to damage DNA to to basically kick out an electron from 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 an atom or from a molecule. And so the concept was that this can't harm your body. But we do know that microwaves can heat the body because, you know, we have microwave ovens now that were originally called radar ranges um, that housewives didn't particularly care for. And we know that they excite water molecules um, and the water molecules start vibrating. And it's that vibration that creates the heat. Um, And so water absorbs microwave radiation. And some of the radar operators were commenting that in the middle of winter, if they stood closer to the radar antennas, they were warm. And it was because it was basically microwaving their body. And some of them were developing cataracts and they were complaining of headaches. And so um, when they came up with the guidelines, they didn't take into account all these other things that could happen to you because there had been no, no testing, no science on it. We've learned since though, that one of the major effects of microwave radiation is that it produces stress on the body. And so you go into something called a fight or flight response. You're on an autonomic nervous system, uh, get your sympathetic nervous system operating. And it's very hard for these people to relax, to go to sleep, um, to digest food, uh, to heal and so as they're exposed for long periods of time even to very low levels of radiation coming from normal things in the house that are now wireless um, that they can develop these symptoms and become quite ill and debilitated
0: so you mentioned the microwave oven and i i read recently well i think it was as of 2017 something like 90 percent of north american homes have a microwave oven and yeah uh, microwaves they operate what around 2 is it 2.45 um 2.45 gigahertz Gigahhertz. i
2: think yeah actually microwave cool. radiation refers to anything from 300 megahertz which is 300 million cycles to 300 gigahertz which is 300 billion cycles and 2.4 falls within that range 2.4 okay. gigahertz falls within that range
0: why did they choose 2.45
2: um, they were doing a lot of testing because that was the temperature at which water <laughs> absorbed optimally. And they made this a free frequency. So, for example, if you're if you're a cell phone provider and you want to um, have people using your cell phone in a particular area, you have to apply for a license uh, with Health Canada in Canada and with the Federal Communication Commission in the United States. And you have to purchase. Part of the spectrum, just like if you're a radio station, you have to own the channel you're on 940am, for example, is 940 uh, kilohertz, that's, that's the actual frequency where this signal is sent out. That's the carrier frequency. And so you have to pay for that, the the radio uh, station has to pay for that uh, frequency for a certain geographic area. And they realized that if we're going to have microwaves and other wireless technology in the home, people don't need to pay for that frequency. So you can have a microwave oven. And they made 2.45 a free frequency. So anything can operate at that and you don't need a license for it. They've now since made 60 gigahertz of free Wi-Fi frequency as well. And this is part of the 5G rollout um, that we can talk about later on if you like. So they picked fi- 2.45 because it happened to be the optimal uh, absorption for water. And that just became a free frequency. And that's used for all sorts of things from cordless phones to baby monitors to, you know, Wi-Fi and other other devices in the home.
0: All right. So um, cell phones um, and and Wi-Fi, what, where are they operating on the band?
2: Well, what- cell phones. Yes, they're they're both operating within the microwave band, uh, so they're both microwave radiation. And cell phones range from about 800 megahertz uh, up to about 2.2, 1.2 um, gigahertz. So there's a there's a range, and there's different channels for different operators, um, especially if they're in the same. Um, geographic area, they can't interfere with one another, so they have to have different carrier frequencies. So they're both within the microwave band. So our baby monitors, so is Bluetooth. If you have Bluetooth on your phone or on your computer, they're all within the microwave band.
0: So, as you mentioned, you call it this, you know, electronic smog, I think you use that term?
2: Electro smog.
0: Electro smog. Um, we've got uh, cell phone towers everywhere. We have wireless everything now. Um, I mean, how much much are we being exposed to? How much EMF? How do we measure that? Uh, Is a typical person exposed to living in the city of Toronto, let's say?
2: Well, unfortunately, they're exposed to more and more radiation uh, that's totally unnatural. Uh, You mentioned some of the items are ready. But there's also smart meters that are attached to homes for which you have no sort of control over. Um, And then all the gadgets in your home that might be wireless, they have smart appliances now that talk to your that will eventually talk to your smart meter. They even you can even purchase light bulbs that you can turn on and off with your cell phone. Um, So these are wireless as well. And they emit very high levels of radiation, not as high as our guidelines, but certainly Uh, levels that are much higher, um, that are making people ill, that are currently making people ill. And if you live in a city like Toronto, you basically have difficulty getting away from it. Um, Unless you're living in one of the wealthier areas where your houses are further apart, then it's a little bit better. But if if you're in row housing, if you're in in condominiums, uh, apartment buildings with multi-unit dwellings, uh, you're going to be exposed to your radiation, whatever you're generating, plus what's coming from your neighbors, plus what's coming from outdoors, because this radiation passes through windows and walls and ceilings and floors. So it's not stopped by by those um, different objects.
0: In, in Eastern Europe, uh, they have a different view. Um, they consider... Uh, the threshold, or they they say the threshold for our exposure to EMF should be much, much lower. How do they deal with it?
2: Well, you know, it's really interesting. You're right. Eastern Europe and Russia have um, virtually one one hundredth of the exposure we have here in Canada as their guideline. And one of the reasons for that is when the United States was first testing microwaves radar, it was top secret and um, they didn't release any of that information. And they were looking at primarily from detecting enemy aircrafts. Uh, And then they were looking at it, whether it could be used as a weapon, and it can be. Um, When the Eastern Europeans and the Russians were first looking at microwaves, they were looking at it from a medical perspective. They were investigating whether or not you can use microwaves um, or other, or radio frequency radiation, slightly lower levels than microwaves, whether you can use them for healing. You know, and they have a socialist system, so they have to pay for healthcare, and they wanted to keep the costs as low as possible. So they were doing research starting at the lower end to find out if we, you know, increase this exposure, will it still be healthy? Will it still have the healing qualities? So the US and Russia, Soviet Union at the time, came to it from two totally different perspectives. And that's the reason we have different guidelines because the Russians and Eastern Europeans recognize that very low levels are biologically active. Uh, so does Health Canada, because they've approved certain devices that emit pulsed electromagnetic fields that have a beneficial biological effect that are well below the guidelines. But they seem to not be able to get their head around that these, that you can have very harmful effects at slightly higher levels of exposure. And they've simply ignored that, uh, all the beneficial effects and just focus on the negative effects and from thermal thermal radiation only.
0: There are some scientists and researchers who are warning about a, in fact, I think we probably talked about this way back in 2011, 2012, about a future um, uh, catastrophe, uh, like a, pand- uh, a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, it just like brain cancers, like crazy 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 like number—an epidemic, of, of an epidemic. thank you epidemic of brain uh, brain cancer because of cell phone use mm-hmm. um we talked about it then where are we at now are we starting to see that
2: well actually we are there are now a few um uh, health inventories that they're where they're monitoring the changes in in brain tumors and other types of cancers they do that in a, quite a few countries the United States has some um, amazing uh, statistics on that. So does a number of European countries. And one of the things that's beginning to show up now is that if you look at brain tumors overall, like all, if you classify brain tumors just as one group, uh, irrespective of where the tumor is, what type of tumor it is, um, then and that curve is fairly flat. And it might even be sort of going slightly down, because we're coming up, we're diagnosing brain tumors earlier and treating them. And so there are fewer people, in a sense, um, than there used to be before. However, uh, when you hold cell phone to your head, you're going to get uh, the highest level of exposure right around your temple, and a little bit in your frontal lobe, uh, which is where you do executive thinking, and a little bit at the base of your neck. So you're going to get half of your face uh, with very high exposure. And by the time it gets to the other side of your head, the levels of exposure are much lower. So you've absorbed a lot of that radiation. And so if you look at tumors that are called ipsilateral tumors, these are tumors that are on the same side of your head that you hold a cell phone. You know, so some people have it, hold it next to their left ear because they're right-handed and they write. Other people use right ear and, you know, some switch. Uh, but if you look at where people predominantly use their cell phones and if you look at ipsilateral tumors rather than contralateral, which is the other side of your brain, um, they found that ipsilateral tumors are um, don't actually are actually much, um, much more prevalent than contralateral tumors. That's one of the things they're finding. Um, they're finding that tumors are occurring very close to the um uh edge of your head rather than the middle of your brain. And that's because they've got higher levels of exposure. And there's one type of late brain tumor called glioblastoma multiforma. It's one of the most virulent types of brain tumors. And that's the one that seems to be increasing now in the population. And it's increasing among younger and younger people. So in the past, you know, brain tumors were something you got, you know, eventually, as you aged uh, for a small percentage of the population, that percentage is now increasing. And it's a very deadly form of tumor. And if you were very young, under the age of 20, when you first started using a cell phone, the the risk of developing a tumor is now fourfold higher uh, with a cell phone than without. So young people... Uh, no one should hold the cell phone to their head, but especially young people, uh, because their brains are developing, they're growing, and they've got a lifetime ahead of them. And if they develop the cancer early on, um, then that's obviously going to have major effects on their on their wellness and on their health, if not on their life.
0: Uh, can we lessen the risk just by uh, by holding the cell phone, you know, uh, and putting it on speakerphone, or are we so uh, radiated from this electro smog, that it really doesn't make a difference at this point.
2: Well, it actually does make a difference. Um, so, when when you're dealing with electromagnetic radiation, one of the things um, you learn in physics, and this this still applies. This is one of the laws of physics, is that the radiation decreases exponentially. So, even if you move it just a few centimeters away from your head, you're you're reducing your exposure by more than fifty percent. And obviously the further away you hold it, the the less your exposure is going to be. Um, And so using speakerphone is probably the best way to speak on your cell phone, especially if you put your cell phone down and you're not even holding it in your hand. Obviously, you know your hand isn't as as sensitive as your brain tissue is, um, but even there you don't want um, to be exposed to this radiation. So distance when it comes to a cell phone can make can be huge um, in reducing your exposure. So there's a lot that people can do just by minimizing um, the distance or maximizing the distance and minimizing the amount of time you spend with uh, wireless technology.
0: Maggie will take a time. I'll come back <clears throat> and discuss further.
1: Truth will set you free, 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 but first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
0: We're talking about the dangers of EMF. Magda Havis is with us, Professor Emeritus with the Trent School of the Environment. What about, um, well, you mentioned baby monitors. How um, the wireless using EMF microwave Uh What are your concerns there? I mean, if they're far enough away from the baby, are they safe?
2: No. Um, The younger you are, the more sensitive you're going to be. You don't have um, a well-developed immune system yet as an infant. uh, Your body's, uh, the cells are growing, dividing very, very rapidly. And so it's almost like if you're on a bike and it's going very quickly and you put something among the spokes, you're going to have a big fall. Um, if you're moving slowly, if you're not moving at all, if your cells aren't, um, you know, dividing, and you put it, uh, something in the spokes, it's not going to be as nearly as harmful. So you want to protect infants and young children as much as possible from this type of toxin. And having a baby monitor in a room with an infant is too much exposure. Um, and very often the baby monitors place fairly close to the crib, uh, which is even worse. Um, and then the parent would have the other part of the baby monitor usually you know hanging on a belt or in a hip pocket and they're being exposed simultaneously and it's their reproductive organs that are getting the most exposure if they've got it on their body for example. Uh, In Europe you can buy baby monitors that are sound activated and so there's no radiation until the baby cries then it turns on sends out a signal to the parent uh, monitor and you know when you go into the room and you see what's wrong with the infant. Um, The monitors we have, the baby monitors we have here in North America uh, emit radiation all the time. They're on all the time, whether the baby's crying or whether they're not crying, it makes absolutely no difference. And so we're exposed 24 seven, whereas in Europe, they're exposed for maybe a few minutes maximum each day, you know, for the short period of the, it turns on. And really what we need are sound activated baby monitors here as well. And the same goes for your cordless phone. People who still have cordless phones in their home, not just cell phones. Those cordless phones are irradiating the entire home uh, 24-7, whether you're using it or not. And if you take your cordless phone and walk you know, 100 meters away from your home, chances are you can still use it. So we're talking about a very powerful transmitter. And having something like a cordless phone in your home or a baby monitor, it's like having a cell tower almost in your house, um, because that's what they're doing. They're both radiating microwave radiation.
0: You mentioned reproduction, reproductive organs, um, cell phone use, and things like testicular cancer, because you know young boys, men carrying these things around in their hip pocket. Uh, is there? Um, more than correlation? Do we now know? there is there causation?
2: There's a very strong correlation with damaged sperm. Um, that's been documented by more than 30 studies. So men who keep a cell phone in or near their, their hip pocket um, have a greater risk of developing testicular cancer. And having sperm that is virtually immobile, deformed, Um Simply, you know, not something that can survive very long, really damaged sperm. And so my advice uh, to couples who are wanting to have children is that they should both detox uh, with men at least three months, because it takes three months to produce new sperm. Women are born with all their eggs. So if their eggs are damaged, we're talking about damage to future generations as well, if indeed they're still fertile. So there's infertility issues, there's damage to the embryo issues, um, there's teratogenic effects for coming up in multiple generations, and there's testicular cancer as well. And a lot of this has been documented, not so much with cell phones, but rather with police who were using radar guns, uh, you know, for traffic cops. Uh, And they would have, they would point the radar gun at, you know, on the streets to clock the cars driving by, And they wouldn't turn it off. They just hold it in their laps when they were waiting. And they were basically irradiating their their genitals. And so testicular cancer was one of the outcomes. At this stage, it's still um, considered a correlation. um, But I'm absolutely convinced it's causal uh, because of all the other uh, types of cancers we're getting with proximity to a a microwave-emitting device like the brain tumors, the Thyroid cancer, the salivary gland cancer, all, all associated with the, the head region and cell phone exposure.
0: Is Health Canada uh, doing any serious studies on this? I mean, why why don't these things and baby monitors all come with health warnings? You can't pick up a pack of cigarettes without a disease p- picture of a diseased lung and and uh, signs in in bars and pubs, you know, telling women not to drink. Are there any? Any advisories coming from Health Canada?
2: Uh, Very few. Cell phone manufacturers have had to put in um, statements for the distance, the device should be kept from your body. That's true for uh, tablets as well. So uh, a cell phone should be kept roughly an inch away from your body or, you know, 2.5 centimeters, something like that, ideally. So you shouldn't hold it in your body. A lot of women put their cell phones in their bra, and they've started developing breast cancer right where the cell phone was. So it's a really unusual type of breast cancer. Um, so Health Canada does, sorry, um, the cell phone manufacturers do have warnings as to how far the device should be from your body. But Health Canada, in my mind, is a captured agency. They have stopped protecting uh, the health of Canadians uh, associated with wireless technology. They, I don't think they've ever been protected in that regard. They started out with a the thermal effect and they stick by it. They won't acknowledge research that's showing non-thermal effects at non-thermal levels um they say that they they recognize that there are studies out there but it hasn't influenced the guidelines and we have some of the worst guidelines globally uh, of all countries
0: when we did the show 2011 2012 i think cell phones were in the what iteration was it 2g maybe maybe 3g now we have 5g uh talk to me about I mean, does that ramp up the the health issues?
2: It sure does. Uh, So we've gone from, you know, first generation, which was just called, you know, regular cell phone, uh, all the way up to 5G now. And there's attempts to make, you know, 6G, 7G, 8G, 9G, 10G, whatever. And it doesn't sound very um, harmful. You know, 5G, we're just going up one generation. But there's a really big difference between 5G and 4G and 3G. So with 5G, we have a very broad frequency range that um, is being used. So we have something called sub one gigahertz. So these are um, levels of um, exposure at um, frequencies less than one gigahertz. And then we have uh, up to six gigahertz, which is another range. And then we have higher than six gigahertz and that's called millimeter waves. And so with 5G, we have not only the sub six gigahertz, which has been with all the other technology, but we now also have millimeter waves. And millimeter waves um, have not been tested for their uh, effects on long-term chronic exposure. Millimeter waves are used by the military for crowd control. Um, They have tanks that have these um, antennas on them, these saucer-shaped antennas, and they can aim a beam at. At this millimeter wave frequency, at a crowd, at a fairly high level, for a split second, because it causes pain, it basically causes your um, the water molecules in your sweat glands to evaporate, to heat up and boil.
0: Yeah. and so no, it's a- non-lethal weapons. Yeah,
2: it's non. That's right. It's a non-lethal weapon, but it's a very painful me- me- method that can. Um, direct crowd so you're not going to be you're not going to stand there for any period of time you're going to move away out of that beam and so it's non-lethal and in that respect it's better than killing people um but one of the, and they've been testing military personnel with this but one of the things they're not telling people is that your eyes are very sensitive And if you don't have appropriate shielding on your eyes, special glasses to prevent the millimeter waves, then your risk of developing a cataract goes up exponentially. And so they're testing these young um, military personnel, men and women, exposing them even for a split second, but that split second is enough to do the damage. The other location where uh, millimeter waves are used are at airports. You know, when you go through and, and there's there's the equivalent of a metal detector that you just walk through and, you know, the light comes on or it doesn't. And you have those other ones that are more circular where you have to raise your hands above yes. your, your head like you're, you know, um, being arrested or something. And you're saying, I give up, I give up. Um, and those use millimeter frequencies, millimeter wave frequencies. And while, you know, once again, travelers would go through them and they'd be in there for a few seconds, The personnel at airports are asked to test those several times a day to calibrate them. And they're complaining of health effects as well. So they shouldn't be exposed. They shouldn't be even near, standing near where these millimeter waves are being used. Uh, And the third use of millimeter waves is in medicine, where once again, the exposures last for anywhere from seconds to minutes not 24 hours a day, which is what we're going to have with a telecom. So, you know, millimeter waves, uh, constant exposure is far from ideal. And I'm anticipating a lot of different adverse health effects, mostly at the skin level, because millimeter waves don't penetrate very deeply. And so I think we're going to have a lot of um, skin rashes, um, uh, itchiness, all sorts of problems with a person's skin, and the nervous system that's very close to the surface of your skin. So you're going to have peripheral nerve damage from these millimeter waves that, that's my sort of guesstimate. And it will simply take time before we can document this in the population that that's coming now because the 5g is being rolled out
0: globally. Magda, when we come back, we'll talk about the effects of EMF on plants and bees. Stay with us.
1: This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca.
0: Magda Havis is with us, professor emeritus with the Trent School of the Environment, and um, this is an area you've done some serious research into, and that is the effect of EMF on plants. What are you seeing?
2: Well, you know, we there was um, some students in a school. I think it was in Denmark um, where their teacher said let's find out if if the Wi-Fi routers in our school are having an effect on plants. And so they had some seedlings, uh, watercress seedlings that germinate very quickly. They put them on some damp towels, they put one near a router and they put one in a location where there was no Wi-Fi router. And what the students found was that um, the seedlings simply failed to germinate when they were close to a Wi-Fi router. And, you know, although, you know, the experiment was a little clumsy, and it wasn't perfectly um, executed, it was really fascinating. And I I was intrigued by what they did. So we repeated their study uh, with four different species, I think four or five different species of seedlings. And we found that um, the seedlings varied in their sensitivity. uh, But basically, uh, all of them had some problem when they were exposed to the Wi Fi router. And this is just a normal Wi Fi router you would have in your home. So we have a special room in our lab that is shielded from external sources of radiation. And we simply put a Wi Fi router in there had a growing bank of, you know, appropriate lights and everything put the seedlings in and waited for them to germinate. And we let that go on for about 30 days. And we had another one in a different location uh, that wasn't exposed to any of the radiation. And we found a huge difference. Um, Basically the root system stopped growing in the pea plants and um, there was much less growth in in above above ground biomass they just didn't grow as tall they weren't vigorous and it was obvious they couldn't survive for very long with without a root system some of the plants uh, actually grew away from the microwave uh, source from the wi-fi router which was interesting because plants will grow towards light mm. the light was immediately above them and so they should have been growing straight which is how they were in our control environment But in the environment where we had the Wi-Fi router, they were actually growing away from the Wi-Fi, almost as though they were trying to uh, avoid it. And we've got photographs of this that are really quite traumatic. And the other thing we noticed is that some of the plants were infected by fungus. And one of the things we've learned about microwave radiation is that it impairs the immune system in, in animals and in humans. And it looks like it's probably impairing the immune system among the plants as well and making them much more susceptible to any kind of fungal or bacterial infection. So we know that it affects plants. And if you look uh, near where people have smart meters on the side of their homes, if they have a bush near the smart meter, one of the things we've noticed is that bush Uh, begins to die after the first or second year with a smart meter there. And that's because the radiation is once again, you know, killing the plants. And in some cases, encouraging um, the growth of mites and other pathogens that would, you know, make the plant um, um, much more sensitive as a result. So we've done and and people in Europe are finding the trees um, are beginning to die where they're exposed to microwave radiation. So if there's a, a cell phone tower, a building between the cell phone tower and then a tree, where the tree grows high enough that the radiation can go across, above the building, that part of the tree will die. Uh, and then eventually the rest of the tree will begin to die as well. So there's a lot of evidence that this is killing, killing plants on a fairly gross scale.
0: Do you have any research to suggest that uh, EMF may be related to, uh, bee colony collapse. Some have, some have attributed that to the, the, uh, the use of pesticides and nicotinoids and so forth. Does EMF play a role?
2: Yeah, it definitely does. And, and, you know, I really feel for the bees and I think most people do the bee population is getting decimated. And there's a number of reasons for that. The, um, pesticides is one, the mite population is another the global change, uh, you know, um, Having very warm winters and having the bees actually come out prematurely, which is what happened this past year here in in parts of Ontario, uh, but we do know that microwave radiation affects bees, and there have been several really interesting studies. In one study, they took the bees and um, moved them away from the hive, and then waited uh, to see how long it took the bees to come back. They had marked all the bees on the back, so they knew by the color code they used which bee was in which hive, and the bees that had cell phone Uh, cell phones at the hive, many of them didn't return at all. So they wouldn't come back to the hive, which is really quite interesting. There was another study where uh, a beekeeper was fascinated by this. And uh, we know that uh, bees will um, swarm if they're unhappy, if they're unhappy with their location, they will eventually come out of the hive really, really quickly. And then they'll try to find a different location for them to inhabit. Um, and in this particular study, um, the scientists put a microphone inside the beehive because the bees make a certain sound when they're about to swarm. And so he didn't want them to leave his hive because he was uh, actually using, you know, enjoying the honey. Uh, and so he he just simply recorded the sound of the bees. And whenever he turn the cell phone on, they would go into this piping sound saying that they're going to swarm and ultimately leave the hive. Now we did a a test as well where we took a wireless baby monitor and Wi-Fi and took it out to some hives on a farm. And we had one hive where we asked uh, the beekeeper to paint it with a paint that blocks the radiation. And so we had one hive that was totally shielded from the radiation Once the bees came out they would be exposed but inside the hive they were perfectly safe And then we had another hive that was that was just a normal hive and we put some uh, uh, Wi-Fi um, router there and a, a baby monitor and a cordless phone and we turned on the radiation and what we noticed was that the bees became very docile. Uh, you could go up to them. And it was almost like they were barely alive. They were they were sort of moving, you know, the wings a little bit. Some of the bees are outside the hive and their job is to fan the hive to cool it down right at the entrance. And so they were there, but they were they were very lethargic. Um, and we had to look very carefully to see if they were still moving and if they were alive. And then by accident, um, we were on a farm in the a farm dog uh, decided to uh, run across the uh, extension cord we were using and that disconnected all the power. So suddenly all the radiation went down and there was nothing, there was nothing. And the bees started to swarm. They were coming out of the hive, uh, like you wouldn't believe, we've got it videotaped. Um, Bob Conley is doing a documentary on this and he's got some amazing footage. Uh, And not only did they come out of the hive, but they were really aggressive. Uh, They started to sting all of us, Uh, they were going after the dog, there were some swallows in the field, and they were they were going after the birds, Uh, and we had to get out of there very, very quickly. So they became incredibly aggressive. Um, And so we know that they're, they're picking up the radiation, we know they're trying to avoid it based on some of the other studies. And if it's near their hive, they simply want to go somewhere else and swarm and leave the hive. Now, there's some fascinating work being done right now with some magnets, and I happen to have one here that, you know, I was, I was given to test. Um, and these magnets were placed on beehives here in Ontario on, you know, professional um, uh, farms where they have large, large bee colonies. And the magnets were placed under some hives, but not under others. And this year, when they went to open up the hives, they found that if the Hives didn't have the magnets. Um, They were very weak and in some cases there were no bees left. So whether they swarmed or whether they died, um, it's it's sort of hard to tell. Uh, And in the hives that had the magnets, um, they were so uh, strong and so vigorous that they were beginning to swarm, but they were beginning to swarm because there wasn't enough room in the hive for them. And so, what the beekeepers had to do is they had to—they call it splitting the hive, where they add another box on top to give them more room inside the hive. So, if you you know if you look at just these results from from this one farm bee, bee farm, um, the results are really encouraging. Now, this particular location didn't have radio frequency radiation. But the magnet is probably um, increasing the immune, benefiting the immune system of the bees, which means that they can tolerate stressors, which means they should be able to tolerate mites much better, uh, and any kind of uh, stress coming from climatic changes. Uh, I don't think they can, uh, that would necessarily make them tolerate pesticides, uh, but uh, certainly some of the other stressors, and they were so vigorous. So we're really quite excited about this. And there's some evidence that using these magnets can actually show, slow down um, the ripening of fruit and vegetables. And so by placing things like s- strawberries on the magnet for just a few minutes uh, enables them to survive much longer in your fridge. Um, and so we're, we're just doing some testing to find out um, to what degree that's the case.
0: These magnets, have they been... Um, um- exposed like charged with an uh like an oscillator or a tesla coil
2: um they i don't know exactly how they were made um they're hexagonal magnets and if you look at i can show it to you but um it it won't show on the radio but do you see this shows you the magnetic field yes uh and you can see there's a pattern there to that hexagonal uh magnet um, and that's that's basically what it looks like. Now, what's really interesting is these magnets, when you put something near a beehive or in a beehive, um, the bees will, will cover it um, with propolis, like they, they just don't want it in there. And with these magnets, um, the bees weren't covering them with anything, they were beautifully clear at the end of the season because they had been there all winter long and i i watched the bees sort of just walking across them as though though they were actually enjoying you know being close to these magnets um which is also intriguing so there's a heck of a lot of research that needs to be done still but this is a very promising uh for beekeepers and for fruit lovers um you know that require these pollinators
0: right yes and also used um um with, in conjunction with manufacturing honey i mean honey's all, already like you know the the the, the perfect food now you're uh, imbuing it with these properties from the magnet
2: Exactly. And they're also charging up the honey. Um, And when you put the honey under curly and photography, honey that's been charged up by the magnet, and we're talking about charging that takes five to 10 minutes. So we're not talking about anything that takes a long time. When you look at that, um, under using curly and photography, you'll notice that it just has so much more energy um, after it's been charged. And that could probably be done for other other types of food as well, not just not just honey
0: this is potentially very huge I mean if we could avert uh B colony collapse that would I mean that's an existential threat to humanity there's no question um let's just talk for a a, a few minutes about one of the theories that was uh, out there during COVID was that uh places like Wuhan which was kind of like ground zero this was one of the early rollout places for 5G Uh, And then suddenly you had people ripping 5G towers out of the ground in places like uh, the the UK and and elsewhere in Europe and so forth. Any research to suggest that 5G may have some relationship to COVID? It exacerbates it? It activates it?
2: Actually, there is. Um, In uh, March and April of 2020, uh, when we were first sort of warned about uh, the pandemic and you know we were going into lockdown and and everything else um the i was following johns hopkins university the information they were giving on on the number of covet cases and covet deaths that sort of thing and i was following this quite religiously because i was fascinated by what was happening deeply disturbed but also as a scientist fascinated and i noticed that on the maps um the the Uh, number of cases wasn't uniformly distributed. Um, And that's what you might expect for a respiratory illness. It's, it's, you know, it's coming through the air, it should be fairly easily distributed and fairly uniformly. And that wasn't the case. And so I began to look at the data. And I looked at the United States with a colleague of mine, Angela Siang. uh, And we were both reviewing the Johns Hopkins data. And we found that in the United States, there were Some states that had 5G rolled out already, so that it was fully active, and other states weren't, there wasn't any 5G yet. And so we began to look at the states with and without 5G and looked at the Johns Hopkins data on um, the number of cases per 100,000 and number of deaths. And one of the things we found um, is that if you compared states uh, with 5G, their cases per 100,000 was 85% higher than in states without 5G. And if you looked at deaths, the deaths were twice as high in states with 5G. And so the thinking here is that the, five, the 5G millimeter waves increases your exposure, which we know it does because we've measured it before and after 5G came into a particular location. And um, so there's higher levels of radiation that everyone's exposed to where, where 5G antennas are located. Um, And that we think that it's impairing the immune system. And so when COVID comes along or some bacterial infection comes along, if you've got a weakened immune system, you're likely to develop the symptoms. And if it's weak enough, it might actually kill you. And that's what our our data are showing is that um, the virus was much more virulent in areas with 5G millimeter waves. And many of my colleagues at the beginning, you know, in the early April 2020, they were wondering a lot of the symptoms that people have with 5G, they're identical to symptoms of electrohypersensitivity. And they were wondering if these people were actually dying of COVID or whether they were having symptoms of electrohypersensitivity because the levels were simply going up. Wuhan was one of the first places that rolled out 5G. Uh, the Princess Cruise Line also had 5G millimeter waves, and they had a huge pandemic on on their their, uh, cruise line. Uh, And there were various other countries that had rolled it out, Northern Italy, for example, and there they had a very bad case of it. Um, And so there's evidence coming from other sources now, uh, basically pointing to the same thing, that if you have 5g millimeter waves and even if you have 4g uh, frequencies uh, it's going to affect you biologically and it will make you much more sensitive to any kind of uh, pathogen or viral or bacterial infection
0: Uh, Magda, let's end this with um, some tips maybe i don't know four or five tips to help people uh, so that they can um, reduce their exposure to emf
2: well, behavior is one thing. So using your wireless technology as little as possible or less than you normally do is, is a really important tip. And by that, I mean, um, you know, turning your cell phone off when you don't need and that means turning off the Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth as well. And simply, you know, checking it periodically and then returning calls at your convenience rather than being disturbed by it. And I know some people like doctors have to have their cell phone on all the time. Uh, But for those who don't, uh, that's a really important tip. Keeping as far away from this technology is also helpful. Uh, When it comes to Wi-Fi in your home, that's gonna be one of the highest sources of exposure. And here you don't have to use Wi-Fi to get on the internet. You can use ethernet cables. There's something called power line adapters. So you can actually get on, uh, you can use your um, internet access through wires rather than in a wireless fashion. And not only is it safer, it's faster, it's you know, it's it's more economical. It uses much less energy, um, and so that's a, another thing you can do. If you're exposed uh, from sources outside of your home, there's ways of shielding. There's material you can get to put to use as curtains on your windows, and it has some metal fibers in it, and those metal fibers reflect the radiation back out into the environment. So there's ways of protecting yourself and having a very clean bedroom. And I mean a bedroom that doesn't have your cell phone on under your pillow, that doesn't have a Wi-Fi router or a cordless phone, um, where even um, um, the light that you might have near your bed should be at least arm's length away from you so that you're not, you're not sleeping in a soup of electromagnetic frequencies. The more metal you have in your home, in your bedroom, the more reflection you're going to get. So people who are sleeping on coiled, you know, the metal coil mattresses uh, are likely to have greater exposure. And hence, if you can just replace that with something that doesn't have metal in it, it will minimize your exposure. So there's quite a few things with behavior and just replacing wireless with wire technology that can make a huge difference and really prolong your health uh, for much longer periods of time.
0: And maybe getting our, our hands on some of those hexagonal magnets we used with the beehives and put those under our pillows.
2: Right. Well, I have one of these and I'm testing it now to see how quickly bacteria will grow on on petri plates. So uh, we're starting that testing this week and hopefully we'll have something by the end of the month.
0: Ah, excellent. All right, Magda, great catching up with you again. Thank you so much for all of your uh, tremendous research and your insights. I appreciate it.
2: My pleasure.
1: A new Richard Sarrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday and Friday.